Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Haley Barton, and in this season, season 20 of the podcast, we are talking about transforming worship. And I have with me Rory Nolan, who's been a worship leader in the Transforming Center for 15 years before he passed the baton, and so I'm thrilled to be talking through his book, Transforming Worship. And he's with me in all of our episodes, but we're also inviting guests in every single episode. And so today we have several guests. We have Charity McClure, who's on staff here in the Transforming Center. We have David Bailey, who's a really significant part of our community, and Leo Ayala, who's also uh, within our communities, and bringing diverse points of view on a really good topic. And that is the topic of diversity and diversity in our worship and why diversity is so important to our transformation as it has to do with our worship experience and why it's formative for all of us to make sure that in the family of God, there is equal representation among many different kinds of diversity. And so in this episode, we're going to focus on three aspects of diversity. That would be ethnic diversity, diversity as it has to do with age. So talking about the generations and then also diversity as it has to do with gender and how uh, gender is represented with in our worshiping communities. And so I'd like to start before we have our guests introduce themselves a little bit in terms of their context. I want to start with uh, a scripture verse, and this is the first time I've done this in this season, but one that I think frames why this subject is so important to us. It's from Revelation verse chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And so in this verse, there is a description of the kingdom of God in its perfection. And the kingdom of God in its perfection is a diverse community and it's multi-ethnic. Um, it has um, the genders represented. It's going to have people at different stages in their faith development. And I think many times um, this is missing in many of our worshiping environments and we're missing out on transformation by not leaning into the kind of diversity that is supposed to characterize the kingdom of God. And of course, that reminds me of MLK's very penetrating statement, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., when he said that Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week in our country. That was his observation. And unfortunately, friends, it's still true. And so I do want us to look at that observation and ask, what does that say about us as we make our choices about worship, that it is the most segregated hour of the week, especially when we look at the scriptures and see that the most accurate representation of the kingdom of God is a kingdom that has diversity and equality and equity within it. So um, that's how we're framing this episode about uh, diversity in our congregations and communities being a part of what transforms and how can we lean in in such a way that transformation happens. And so with that, I want our guests to introduce themselves in terms of their context. What is the context that you're worshiping in right now? And, you know, even, you know, a question or an observation from your own context that you'd want to make as we begin. So let's start with you. We have Leo Ayala. Let's start with you. I am born and raised in, in the beautiful island of Puerto Rico. And uh, and I've been working and traveling in Spain. My wife is from Spain, but we work and, and live here. I used to serve as a pastor for 15 years. 
and, um, and now I'm not directly working as a pastor, but I still uh, serving and working with other pastors, men and women in, in, in the pastoral context. So for us and for me, uh, the, the topic of worship has been always uh, a thing that shaped us in many ways. As a Puerto Rican, uh, that we were people who were conquered by Spain and they were here for more than 500 years and we received a Christianism from from Europe, of course. And, uh, and the way we learned how to worship, it was interesting because back then Christ was imposed, so we didn't have an approach to worship, actually, from the from our Indians, Tainos, or the Africans that we were here, of course. And then we became, in 19, 1898, we became a colony of the U.S. And after that process, we received from the gospel and a worship kind of way from the American context. So for the past years, we've been trying to understand what is a Puerto Rican worship, ah. thinking in a Puerto Rican way when we worship. But it's interesting because the, the way the people embrace more the reality of the Sunday service right now, it came when the Puerto Rican heart and the feeling of who we are rise up and we decide to start singing and worship with our instruments, with our maracas mm -hmm. and the guitars and the drums mm -hmm. that we heritage the heritage from the african context so that's where we are right now mm, love it and i should also mention that everybody on this call has been in transforming community and all of us more than once so we're speaking out of our own relationships and out of our own walk together in community and so everyone here has contributed to the worship within the transforming center in significant ways and thank you leo it's very inspiring to hear you describe kind of the edge that you all are on in puerto rico right now Charity, what about you? What what do you feel like you're uh, representing in terms of context right now? Yes. In, in addition to my experience with transforming community and transforming worship evolving in that context, I am currently attending a local church that really has a desire and a heart for more diversity in its worship, but its um, makeup and the congregation is lacking in that area. And so we find ourselves trying to incorporate different kinds of worship, um, but without necessarily all of the people to bring it authentically. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that that's, it's an interesting place for us to be. I'm grateful for the exploration, and yet I'm also painfully aware of what's lacking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're also a younger demographic than the rest of us on this call. Well, you and David are more, you know, in the same generation. So you're representing, you know, what's happening with the 40-somethings and families and and what you all are looking for in worship. Yeah, it, I think that this is an interesting age and stage to be trying to cultivate spiritual lives um, in children. Mm. I Most of the people that I'm talking with, we are really, really wrestling at very deep mm -hmm. levels ourselves, but then also finding ourselves in really desiring and needing to figure out how we're going to be building into and leading our children. And so it's a... Uh, it's an interesting place to hold both and it's a challenge and we are really looking for communities that can help us in this age and season and it's not as easy as you would mm -hmm. think. Yeah. So people who have been listening to this season kind of know the context that Rory and I are finding ourselves in. And we're speaking a lot from the context of transforming worship within the Transforming Center and the work that we've done over the years. And, and I will say that in the Transforming Center, uh, this question of diversity is really our a cutting and a growing edge for us, and we've grown in the diversity of our own communities. In fact, TC15 was the one where we 
Uh, we're very, very intentional about cultivating more diversity within our communities. And it was very, um, and it happened. That was the most diversity we had ever had in a community up to that point. And it was very intentional. And then now we've just launched TC19. And we have even more diversity in that community than we've ever had in any community. And we're seeing some beautiful and wonderful changes, but also asking questions about how we can invite the leadership from a more diverse group of people to inform how we worship within the Transforming Center. And it's just beautiful to be in this. I mean, it's challenging, but it's beautiful to be in this process intentionally right now. And so then, David, how about you? And you have some things you want to share to help us frame the conversation, too. But we have David Bailey with us today as well. Tell us about your context and also some of the ways you see framing this conversation in a fruitful way. Yeah, so a little bit of my context, you know, I am no longer vocationally a worship leader, and I'm hardly a musician anymore. I don't know. We saw some of that come out once. It was pretty cool. <laughs> just put a keyboard in front of this man and just look at what comes out. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, the secret got out a little bit. But um, but yeah, but my context was we were part of a church plan in 2008 that was really uh, inspired with the principles of Christian community development with uh, Dr. John Perkins. And uh, we intentionally, my wife and I intentionally moved into an under-resourced, primarily African-American church context. And the majority of people who started the church um, were white coming from affluent backgrounds. And so uh, we were just trying to figure out like, how do we do this? And there also was a lot of different Christian traditions Presbyterian, Lutheran, um, Pentecostals, and people who were suspicious of Pentecostals, right? And we were all together, and we had to kind of figure out, like, okay, we cannot center around a particular, like, Christian tradition. We couldn't center around a particular, we shouldn't center around a particular economic kind of cultural preference. And we also were intentionally crossing, we're crossing class and we're also crossing race. So like a lot of the things that are very um, significant and what oftentimes bring cohesion within congregations, we didn't have those things. So we had to try to figure out like how, like how do we really center around Jesus? And, And I think everybody says that, but you don't really realize how many substitutes for what you center around in your worship community subconsciously, right? So one of the things I really began to see, the amount of resources for under-resourced urban communities was pretty much non-existent. Was If you did anything urban or multi-ethnic, you pretty much had to borrow from a suburban context mm-hmm. and import it into an urban context. And I saw that this just wasn't like working and we needed something different. And so I began to ask this question, it's like, what does worship look like for the urban context? That was my first question I started to ask. And it was more than just like, what does worship look like for the inner city? It was like urban context meant a lot of people in our congregation didn't have the same education levels. So you had people with no degrees and people with PhDs. You know, uh, what did it look like for people with different socioeconomic backgrounds? You had some people who were trust fund babies and other people who were alcohol fetal syndrome babies. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we're all in a congregation together. And so there just wasn't a lot of resources. You had people who didn't read. And I realized that so much of our spiritual formation was centered around the ability to read. Mm -hmm. Hey, let's read this Bible study together. Let's do this work. So I began to ask the question, what does worship look like for people with diverse education levels and learning styles? Mm -hmm. And started to really engage in this space. And this question, it became what I call the Urban Doxology Project. 
we, I end up getting young people, 18 to 25, studying theology, justice, reconciliation, urban context. Instead of writing papers, we write worship songs, liturgies, and, and really what have come to define urban oxology as any preaching, liturgy, music, and arts that prepares us for the city of God that's to come. I, in that searching of questions, I realized that heaven is not a suburban gated community. <laughs> really, David? <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> but you really think about like, like, like almost like America is like 1.0 and heaven's like 2.0. Right. And, and so what I began to see is like, when we say our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It was like, let the city of a God that's in heaven be the city of God in Richmond or Chicago or Ferguson or South central LA. And so, and, and not just like the wealthier parts of town, but when you think about over the last 40 years with the church growth strategy, church planning has gone Basically, God has just, in a sense, quote, unquote, led people to basically plant churches in the zip codes where a mall can be prosperous so that it could be economic sustainable. And so then innovation in the worship space is like centered around the preaching for the like young, wealthy family. So the preaching, the music and the children's ministry is centered around the people who can make that church economically sustainable. Mm -hmm. And it really wasn't centered around Matthew 25, caring for the least of these. Mm -hmm. And so that really shaped a very different type of an imagination and asked like very different questions. And, and I, I just would just close my thoughts with this, with saying that when I began to look at liturgy, it means the work of the people, you know, doxology means like the praise of God. So urban doxology like thinking about the city of God in heaven being on earth in Richmond in our particular neighborhood called Churchill, thinking about the work of the people. And if I said the, it just didn't have to be people who have four year college degrees or master's degrees, mm -hmm. like, like the people really meant all the people. And then I began to ask the question, like, how do we, how do we do this? Mm -hmm. And there are three aspects of a worship leader that I think um, anybody curating worship, should think through. I think there's a role of a th as a theologian because you have more face time than even like oftentimes the the preacher. Mm -hmm. So you're shaping the theological imagination in significant ways. I th the second thing is th the worship leader as a cultural anthropologist, and and basically I, I took on like a cultural anthropology ethnography. It's a fancy word of like studying your context, who's in the church. In the, in the four walls of the church, but then also who's on the other side mm -hmm. of the church and the, who doesn't come to the church, but it's part of the community within this space. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing is like the worship leader or the worship curator as an excellent artist. Mm -hmm. And the, the first in dwelling of the Holy Spirit were two people who were excellent artists that were indwelled by the Holy Spirit, not so they could just only make beautiful art for the tabernacle themselves, but so they can bring out the best in all of the people in the community. So you have people who are not artists that made contributions, people who were artists that made contributions to help build the tabernacle and this place in the tabernacle of Moses. And that was the first indwelling of the Holy Spirit we've seen uh, recorded in scripture. And so 
part of my theology that really shaped the role of an excellent artist is to have the skill sets to be able to bring out the best of everybody mm -hmm. in the community. And when you begin to think theologically and when you begin to think anthropologically, it creates new questions, new challenges, new problems to be solved. And you actually need to have stronger skill sets to be able to bring out the best in everybody and to answer some of these questions that come out of your theological context and out of your anthropological context. Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to ask David to unpack a little bit more uh, because he started to get into being a student of your congregation, you know, know knowing who's in, who's, who's, who's out. And I was wondering if you have any like suggestions for how people could do that. I mean, what, 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 what are we looking for? Uh, if you were to tell people, okay, what, what am I looking for? What, what exactly do I need to study? So, Rory, to answer your question, I mean, I, th I think about th three people in my congregation that made me ask different questions. Uh, one was I made this observation uh, that we had two Kevin Joneses in our church. Hmm. One Kevin Jones was a guy who was an economist that worked for the Federal Reserve. He had uh, a wife and two children. And then there was another Kevin Jones that was homeless for the greater part of his adult life. And I, I was like, oh, man, we got two Kevin Joneses in our church. And I realized the one that was the uh, economist would sit anywhere in the church with his family. The other one was Kevin Jones would sit in the back left of the church. Mm -hmm. And then like after we would eat a meal together, he would talk and, and he would even go on church retreats. And he was an active part of our church. Yeah. And I was like, well, why doesn't he sit anywhere in the in the um, in the congregation? And then. Holy Spirit said, David, when you prepare worship, when you prepare sermons, when you prepare praise and liturgies, like which Kevin Jones are you preparing for? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was preparing for the one that was most like me, even though the one that experienced homelessness mm -hmm. was African-American. The one that was most like me had the similar education levels and economic spaces and we could talk and we could easier engage in that space. And so th that's one of the things that when you're a leader, you oftentimes are thinking like, people engage similar like me and, and 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 the bible tells us that we have to prioritize the poor the people that aren't in that space and so i think that's one question of like hey how do we engage in that 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 way uh, another deal was we had two african-american young men in their 20s that were kind of hip-hop generation guys we're singing a christ alone Ah. You know, <laughs> and, and and I am like, you know, mm -hmm. I'm familiar with the gender inclusive language. I'm in I'm, I'm mm -hmm. a, the conversation around the like um, wrath of God and all of those type of things. But then it hit me. It was like you have to have a four year college degree to understand the theology of atonement. Yeah. And, and, and that isn't even these guys first pastoral issues. Mm -hmm. And so it realized that, okay, we actually need to write mm. songs that began to think in, in different ways that, that not only talk about like loving God or the, the kind of theological ideas of who God is, but mm. also think about how do we love our neighbor and how does God deal with the challenges, particularly of those who are vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so that began to kind of help me to see things in a different thing. And then the third is a guy who was one of my interns. He was, he was married to one of my seminary worship interns and he was undocumented. And I remember he was at my dinner table. We're having a conversation about like, Hey, tell me your story. And, and he talks about when he was 18 and, and how he came 
over across the border at 18 years old and had to work two years as an indentured servant in order to pay off his debt to come over here. And he was telling me stories about like how, you know, he would kind of basically be trafficked. Like they, you know, they would have to like be sent somewhere to work for like two months at a time with no say so into where they're going, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, bro, Mm -hmm. we still have indentured servants. And he was like, David, where have you been? He said, why do you think your bananas are like 49 cents? And I was like, so woefully ignorant about this topic. And it began to cut, began to help me to see even like when, when, when we sing a song in Spanish and I'm annoyed mm-hmm. because of the fact that like, I can't connect with God in ways and like I can in English, mm-hmm. it built empathy for my brother who literally had to leave everything he's known and learn how to speak English in the United States and work and to be traffic and all those type of things. And it just helped to kind of my small inconvenience for the three to six minutes that song was going to be engage in hospitality. That changed in a, a different way to be like engage in hospitality and formation in a very different way. And so th- those are the type of things that like mm-hmm. thinking about these things that God talked about prioritizing, asking those kind of questions helps you a lot. Just to wrap up, I like where you're, you're going with this because I, you know, to pay attention to uh, those who are not like us, uh, you know, economically, ethnically as well. And um, and age wise, is is it correct to say? I, th- I think what also I'm picking up from what you're saying is that if we don't take the time to study, we won't see them. Yeah, totally. You you have to ask the question. Yeah, you got to ask the question. You have to look. And, and I think Scripture gives us priorities about who to look and to pay attention to. Right. Like we, we always will pay attention to people that's like us. Like nobody has to tell you to like pay attention to the prettiest person in the room. <laughs> nobody tells you how to pay attention to the like the yeah, wealthiest yeah, yeah. person in the room. But Scripture says like. Pay to those on the pay to those on the margins with the least amount of power, and then begin to study and say, "Hey, how can we be faithful to this?" Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I feel like I heard and what you were saying was that you were act; those were actually examples of you being a student. Yeah, yeah. You were yeah, describing instances where you were being a student of your context yeah. Yeah. and being a student of the people that were in your environment. Which yeah. those that's that's what makes those illustrations so powerful, is that that's how you do it. That's how you yeah. study. It's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So while it might be a a two-year commitment, it's actually a lifelong invitation to a change, changing the way that we approach our relationship with God and the way that that flows through us to others. What I really love is that Transforming Community has a practice of building a depth to be able to hold tensions, to be able to understand what it means to be a person in body. And so then when you put on like the issues of race, it's not a shock to the system. When you put on issues of injustice, it's not a shock to the system. From the very beginning, I was surprised by how quickly people became very open and vulnerable, the way that the intimacy worked, even in what felt like a large group setting. Um, and I tend to... But I think it's, it's the, this is a place of trusting the Holy Spirit, trusting that God is bigger than a given belief if we will show up and trust the Holy Spirit. So I think there's a lot of hope in seeing, again, people from kind of a, a wide range of, of backgrounds and beliefs submitting to the Holy Spirit. I think returning to leaving space for mystery and laying down. 
Well, we'd like to take a break for a moment from our conversation and invite you to consider transforming Community 20, which is now on the books beginning in April. And if you've been sitting here listening to this conversation about transforming worship and thinking, wow, I would really like to experience some of what they're talking about, TC20 is for you. We really do experience these things regularly and routinely on our retreats and in our Transforming Community context. And we would love to have you. So if you're interested in Transforming Community 20, go to transformingcenter.org to learn more and apply. When you apply, you can use Podcast 20 as a code to take $50 off your application fee. So again, if you're interested in Transforming Community 20, you can go to transformingcenter.org to learn more and apply. And now, back to our conversation. Well, and, you know, one that we experienced in the Transforming Center as we have experienced our community to change slowly over time is that we had certain words in addition to, you know, David's example of in Christ alone reminded me of how we have certain words in our liturgies Mm -hmm. that um, come from a very specific cultural context. And um, so when you invite someone in their leadership to bring those words and to lead a liturgy, and then you notice that those words don't roll off their tongue in a way that feels natural or authentic. We had an experience where one of our beloved liturgists and leaders, it just, the liturgy wasn't working for him. Like it just wasn't, we, it was actually like restraining him from being able to bring his full Mm -hmm. presence, which we were really hoping he'd be able to bring. And it wasn't anything other than the words that were given to him to say. It's also the rhythms, Charity. It was the rhythm, the words, the words and the rhythms, the rhythms did not work. (laughs) And so, um, I remember our I remember our staff and our um, ministry community afterwards saying, like, we got to do something different here because this is not welcoming the full presence mm. of this person that we really value in our community because the words that we've been using for so long are are very limited and the rhythms um, are either non-existent or limited as well. And so that was just a moment where I was grateful for us to fully see people and to say, you know, this is one of those places where something is going to need to shift and to change and to make room, like to make room for someone to bring their whole selves. And so this is a journey that we're still on, but it's happening gradually. And it's in those moments that you notice and you see like, wow, it's been like, we're expanding. We need to expand. We need to make more room. And I would like to talk with you, Leo, about a, an experience that we've had recently that is along these lines where Leo is serving as a liturgist in TC 18, Transforming Community 18 right now. And I think it was Psalm 23. I can't remember what the scripture was or the psalm. And you asked if you could read it yeah. in Spanish. And you did. And it was beautiful. And it meant a lot to you. It, you, you know, you said how much it meant to you to be able to read the scripture in your own language. Could you say something about, yeah. I think that experience is a really important example also of, of inclus- inclusion and welcoming, like even the, the language, you know, of someone, I mean, welcoming them to speak the scriptures in and through their own language. It's interesting how every language is connected to your story and your history as a country mm-hmm. and as people. And uh, it depends your story or have you ha- what have you been struggling in the past. And every time that you use your language, it means like this is my, this is part of who I am. Uh, my ancestors, my mother, my grandmother, uh, all the people who came far 
to this point, right? So, uh, yeah, I remember uh, I was so, uh, my heart, it was jumping inside myself mm-hmm. when I could <laughs> <laughs> speak in Spanish because I love my family at the Transforming Center. Mm-hmm. And I need to confess this, that sometimes during the night when I'm in silence, it's, it's, a, it's a break for my brain because I'm translating all day uh, between English and Spanish, right? Uh, so I'm really relaxed during <laughs> the night in the silent moments, <laughs> which is beautiful. But, but suddenly, when when I when I start speaking in my own language, it's so easy that my soul is it's it's outside. You know, it's coming outside so easily. Like, okay, this is what it means for my people. This is what I mean. Mm-hmm. I said. He was my pastor. The Lord is my shepherd. It's easy for me to connect what my people have been struggling for the past four or five years after Hurricane Maria with no infrastructure, with pain, uh, all the lament, all the reality that after so many years, you're still a colony and you don't know what's going to look like your country for the next five, ten, ten years. All those things come up when you speak not only your language, but the Bible text, it just takes so many colors uh, for you. Yeah. And I think that uh, it's beautiful for me at that point, because for me was, uh, this is our story. It's not only the people who are white or black here or Latino. Uh, we have been saved. Uh, we have a savior. And that's a bigger table for all of us. And I, and I wonder, mm-hmm. uh, as I was listening also to David, I wonder how sometimes um, the structure of the program provides something beautiful for for the people, but at the same time, uh, what it will take for us just to relay more in their relationship and to build a bigger table in order to mm-hmm. to deeply worship from your center self, from, from who you are, right? Uh, so, yeah, thank for thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak my own language it was beautiful it was yes. like a fiesta internally mm-hmm. <laughs> oh That's it was awesome. such a it was such a great moment to just be with you also mm-hmm. in that moment because i could feel the power of it coming through mm-hmm. you in in your own authentic words and so and, yeah. and as a participant who like received it it was just mm-hmm. such a really beautiful I mean, I, I remember that moment, and it, I mean, mm-hmm. it, and it, it was so wild because I mean, it really touched me mm-hmm. emotionally in a way where I mean, I, I mean, I know the twenty third Psalms. I didn't, I had mm-hmm. no idea where you were in it, but it was. Just, it's, it, I mean, it, it, but it, it felt, it literally felt like a Pentecost tongues experience mm-hmm. where I understood what you were doing for the glory of God, like mm-hmm. you were giving praise to God in ways. And they, and even though I like cognitively couldn't understand, my spirit understood. Yes. Yep. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's really beautiful to realize that that moment of having Leo read Psalm 23 in his own native language was a moment that we all shared and we all, it all, it, it impacted us. I think that's the other thing I'm struck by is that it impacted us all to have Leo bring that through his own ethnicity, even as it was impacting him, it was also impacting the rest of us. And I know that some of you who are listening might be wondering, well, what if I, what do I do if I don't have access to that kind of diversity? And it can actually, this could actually be a moment of painful longing to realize that that's something that you want, but you don't know how to 
find it. And so we are going to pick up and have a second, a second part to this conversation because it's so rich and we've only scratched the surface. And we'll start with that very question. What do I do if I don't have access to that kind of diversity? But what we want to do now is give you a little access now by having Leo read Psalm 23 through his own native language and give you just a little taste of what we all got to experience with him in Transforming Community. So Leo, please read Psalm 23 for us. El Señor es mi pastor, tengo todo lo que necesito. En verdes prados me deja descansar, me conduce junto a arroyos tranquilos. Él renueva mis fuerzas, me guía por sendas correctas y así da honra a su nombre. Aun cuando pase por el valle más oscuro, no temeré, porque tú estás a mi lado. Tu vara y tu callado me protegen y me confrontan. Me preparas un banquete en presencia de mis enemigos. Me honras ungiendo mi cabeza con aceite. Mi copa se desborda de bendiciones. Ciertamente, tu bondad y tu amor inagotable me seguirán todos los días de mi vida y en la casa del Señor viviré por siempre. Amen. 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 Bless you.